Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. We hope you'll be encouraged to have an I'm Third approach as you navigate family, leadership, and spiritual growth. If you're new to our conversation, welcome. It's so great to have you. Let's jump in. Well, this is a very exciting day on the Canacuck Podcast. I'm Joe White. I'm here with my co-host, Beth Ann Lampley, the director of the girls' camp here at K1. And we are thrilled today, Beth Ann, because we're going to be welcoming our dear friend of the decades, Michael W. Smith. Uh, Michael has made camp so fun and so thrilling over the years, writing theme songs year after year after year for three decades for each summer, and then countless appearances at Canacuck with gigantically well-received concerts. Beth Ann, I told you before the broadcast how when Michael would show up year after year, uh, the kids at K2 would go absolutely ballistic, and we would sneak him in, and like one year, it was like a giant Canacuck anniversary, and we made this this huge birthday cake uh, out of uh, paper and different things, and Michael was in the middle of it, and he popped out of it, you know, for the concert. The kids went, the kids, the kids went crazy, but uh, everybody knows Michael's won every award there is in music, um, Grammys, Dove Awards, etc. Uh, the thing I like best about Michael is not his uh, success but it's his humility. Uh, he's a very uh, sweet, dear father, and now a um, very loved and admired grandfather. And he's loved on his sweet wife, Debbie, faithfully for decades. Um, so welcome to the real uh, side, the honest side, the true side of Michael W. Smith. Michael, we're glad to have you on the broadcast today. Thank you so much, Joe and Nathan. I'll have to say that that's the one, the first and only time I've ever popped out of a cake. <laughs> a can of cut can. <laughs> well, you, you know, Michael, oh. we are getting close to our 100th birthday. And so oh. it, we oh. might, Joe, oh. we might need to make hmm. that happen again. What do you think? Might, hmm. might, have, might have to do a repeat. <laughs> might have to okay. do a repeat. She laid the trap for uh, you, Michael. I don't know how you can get out of that one. That's right. Uh, I, I would I would do it for that, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Michael, I'm excited to get to, to speak with you today. I told Joe earlier this week, I'm like, I can't believe I get the opportunity to talk with him. He was in our car on the way to school every every morning <laughs> growing up. And so I'm going to try to keep my, my cool while we're getting to talk today. But, you know, we're going to talk about worship today, which is obviously a, a topic that is important to you. It's been a significant part of your life. And so, Michael, just share with us, why is worship so significant to you? Well, first and foremost, it's what we're made for. I mean, that's just a fact that we're just made to worship our Creator, and and then I think too. I mean, I guess I could I could go down so many paths, but I'll I'll, I'll take I'll take what I feel like is the narrow path of what I feel like worship is, because to me, it's really a lifestyle. And I think my only concern with the word worship is that we equate it with kind of what happens on a Sunday morning or. Or we listen to Elevation or Hillsong, and, it's, and we equate it to music, and it's so much bigger than music. I've always felt like worship's a lifestyle, and the way you treat your wife, the way you hang with your kids and your community, it's all just, it's all worship. Trying to walk that fine line of, of yeah, writing these songs and singing these songs like Ogden's Day, and above all, and yes, it's worship, and there's, there's, there's something beautiful about writing these melodies and creating poetry that help you express yourself through music, you know, as you sing to God, but it's 
so much bigger than that. Maybe that's one of the things I would like to try to help change the church a little bit. And then when I say that, I'm I'm preaching to myself too because it's a daily thing for me. It's just don't forget that worship is a lifestyle, and that whatever you do throughout the day, it's it's really all worship. Michael, I'm you know I'm just sitting here grinning from ear to ear. I you know I've gotten to spend so much time with you and Debbie and the kids, and I uh, I love the way you love Debbie. And I do think uh, the way you have loved her faithfully all these decades is a reflection of your heart of worship. And I love the way you love your children. You've raised some magnificent children. And I see your heart of worship in your kids. You know, I've told you for years, Michael, you know, you have this great capacity. Wherever you are, you're all there. I remember one year you came into camp from a a Billy Graham crusade, you and DC talk, and and it was televised all over the world. And I don't know how many millions had watched it. and, And I'm sure that was a big thing to you. But then you came right to camp and there were just a few hundred kids around you. And you would have thought that those kids were the most important kids in your whole life and you treated them like they were. And so I've seen your heart of worship in your ministry. But, you know, when you came to camp, it was contemporary Christian music and it was pop and it was rock and you had number one songs everywhere. And uh, But then there was a shift uh, in your life. And you and I talked a lot about that shift over the years when you shifted your your focus and your emphasis on your music to worship music. Can you describe to us what, what that shift was like for you as you began to pour more and more time into recording and sharing worship with the world? I still feel like a lot of the pop, I'm still writing pop songs, you know, and I'm still writing things like that. And I feel like there's such a, there's a big worship element to those as well. You know, you get the vertical and horizontal and, and, and trying to encourage people to draw closer and draw near, but you've also got the vertical. The whole worship thing was just, um, I mean, I'd been a worship Joe. I'd been a worship leader at Belmont Church for 19 years before I ever did the worship record, what we call the worship album, which was you know as well as I do, was released on 9/11, September 11th, 2001, a tragic day for America, and you know it ends up being the most successful record of my career. Which that's a whole other story. I won't get into all that, but it was just. It was a thing that I was doing at GMA that we used to have this gospel music week, which is now kind of double world week that we have in town, which we just did this past week. But back then it was GMA week and people would come from all around the world. And it was a big week. And I just remember there were some concerns that there was a lot of ego and and a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance and who's number one, who's got the number one song. It felt like we kind of lost our way a little bit some pride issues. And I remember somebody came to me during that week and just said, you know, and, and conveyed what we all were feeling is that, that we feel like we've lost our way a little bit. Why don't we start off GMA week with a worship service? And would you do that? They asked if I would do it. And I said, I would. And so I, I said, just give me a little creative control. And I invited all the artists at GMA, all the artists to drop their ego at the door and come and be in the choir. And so we had this worship service, I think it was April of 2001, at the famous Ryman Auditorium, and I thought Jesus was coming back. I mean, the presence of God in that place was, it was unbelievable. And everything shifted, the whole atmosphere shifted obviously that night, but it changed the atmosphere of the week. And then three weeks later, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I heard the Lord say, for such a time as this, and I said no. Can you imagine me arguing with God? 
I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon because worship was starting to maybe, this whole worship movement was starting to get a little traction. I think Hillsong had done a record. Maybe Passion had done something from out of Atlanta. But I sort of said no. And three weeks later, woke up again. I said no. And then the, the three weeks later, it was like, I mean, I was literally, I was up in my bed at 3 a.m. And the voice was almost audible, Joe. It was loud for such a time as this. And I went, okay, I'll do it. Took a bunch of people to Lakeland, Florida, and we recorded a night in this big church. We had 10,000 people, and we recorded a record, and it was simply called Worship. And I remember that night when we finished, we all went back and had all these artists on stage. It was us. Amy was there, and Timmy Morgan was there, and Phillips, Craig, and Dean, a bunch of people. And we all went back, and we all just wept. We all just cried. I mean, oof. I get emotional just thinking about it because I vividly remember every detail of what happened that night. And then that time of us all losing it. And I just remember going, guys, what just happened out there? And then we all just prayed, whatever happened out there, Lord, would you would you see it fit? Could it just let whatever happened translate to a CD? And it did. And that was the birth of what shifted inside of me for that. And I went on to do worship again and we did a new hallelujah, new sovereign. But throughout the years, you know, we've had a million lights, you know, and we've had lots of pop things going on. But, but I think the thing that shifted for me big time was, um, was that record found its way on every continent around the world. And so when I go to Vietnam, I go to Mexico city, I go to Poland, I go to Romania, I go to, Rome, the Netherlands, everybody knows the worship album. And so I feel called to the nations. And I feel like uh, when I go, yeah, I get to sing the pop songs. And I still love seeing a place in this world, which is a game changer for a lot of people. But to be able to lead people in worship all around the world, I can't think of anything greater than that. Michael, it sounds like walking in obedience and, and finally saying yes, that that really shaped and, and changed maybe the trajectory of where you were going just in the world of, of music and what your future projects would hold. And share with us just a little bit, how has just a life of leading worship, not just at home and, and in the States, but across the world, how has that changed you personally? I think it's changed me. I mean, just like spiritually it's changed me it's like you know the much is given much is required this is like you don't kind of take this thing flippantly you know this is like this is like this is a big deal i think it's a big deal the beautiful thing and again this is a daily thing we all know this we all have to wake up and die to ourselves and know that we're not in charge he's in charge and we have to submit to his authority and god where do you want me to go today what's my what's my assignment you know but i think that whole thing is just has just continued to remind me going, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. And I find myself less desired to get another award. And I don't care if I have a number one song and you beautifully, uh, hopefully it's beautiful. I think it is that you're, you're just drawn near the Lord. You know, and you're starting to hear him more clearly and intimacy and walking with God and hearing his voice. And, and then just, Doing stuff on the fly, you kind of hear things like, like you know, little things. I'll just in the middle, like I was in I was in Poland. I just went into something. I just went into goodness of God, just on the fly. You know, you just feel like you're reading the audience and you're hearing the Lord, and 
We go in the goodness of God and everybody starts weeping. I mean, crazy. And then they all start singing it in Polish. And then I'm crying and everybody's crying. You know, this is those moments that start to happen. That's just like, you can't orchestrate that stuff. So first and foremost, yes, it's changed me. And it's, yeah, I, and, it, and it continues to do so. And, and whether I'm leading worship in Rome or, or, you know, I'm going to go lead worship next Tuesday night in Washington, D.C. for a bunch of senators and congressmen and interns. And I can't wait. So to me, it's like you're leading worship in Poland for 10,000. You're leading worship for 400 in D.C. Or you're leading worship at an orphanage with compassion for 100 kids. It's all the same. It's all the same. And it's, and it's, and it's, an, it's an honor for me. It's just I, I pinch myself that I get to do it. I'm grateful. Right. And I think just the beauty of worship is it immediately just it has to shift our focus from from ourselves and even self-worship to worshiping the creator. And it's been amazing to even experience in my life just this shift that it can create in your spirit and in your attitude. So talk a little bit more about, you know, again, you've gotten to tour the world. And what do you see just happening um, in America, from the perspective of being a recording artist and touring, and just from your your vo- viewpoint as a worship leader, well, I think there's something happening. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's something shaking, and we've obviously got this these horrible events of these last, you know, what ten, eleven days of Israel and Mid East, and it all seems to be sort of falling apart, you know, and we, we all knew this was going to happen at some point, whatever, but that's, I won't go down that path, but, just, but, but saying all of that, even before all that, there's, there's a shift and you, and I've seen it all around the world and, and there's just something that's shifting that I feel like is sort of, you kind of get this feeling on, oh my gosh, we are possibly living in the last days. And this whole thing that we prayed for that 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 there would be a revival that would not only sweep across America but all around the world, I'm starting to see that. And no, you don't see it on the news. Nobody talks about all the amazing things that are happening around the world. I've seen it firsthand. And yeah, there's a lot of darkness, but man, in the darkness, the light shines brighter. And we all know, as the word says, you can look at the wheat and the tares. The good is going to get better. The bad's going to get worse. And it's finally going to come to a head. And then it's, you know, then we are going to see him come back. This prophecy that says, you know, in the last day, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And there's this, you know, the word says there'll, there'll be a massive revival. And I really think that I'm going to see it in my lifetime. And I'm excited about that. That's so awesome. Well, Michael, obviously, you we, we said it earlier, you've got a long history with Kanakak. You've written amazing, fun theme songs for, for decades. And um, you visited dozens and dozens of times. Um, you've sent kids here and grandkids. And tell us just a little bit, you know, why your family's made that decision just to be a part of just the ministry and, and what God is doing um, through Kanakak. Well, I think it was the first time that I went. I remember Billy Sprague said, hey, have you you should go to Kennecock. And I said, I've never heard of Kennecock. <laughs> I remember this back in 1984, 85. I think it was 85. And no, it might have even been before that, actually. But it was 83, 84, around that time, 85. Billy Sprague just said, you ought to go to Kennecock. Well, I've never heard of Kennecock. Oh, you got to meet this guy named Joe White. Oh, I don't know Joe White. It's <laughs> like, 
And and for some, and they said, well, they're using they're they're using France as their theme song. I think that's what he told. Me. And somehow I just thought, well, you know what? I, maybe I should go. And I just went. I I think I'm, Joe, I might have got on the phone with you. I, I can't remember all the details, but all I know is I I made my first visit to Canada, and I was blown away. I was I was blown away by the energy of what was going on there, and the bells ringing every night. Somebody's getting saved, and just the joy is contagious. And then I think I got up and sang, and then, you know, like kids go crazy like it's the Beatles or something. You know, it's like they're just, they're going to go crazy. They're going go to they're gonna go crazy anyway, you know, whoever's there. But, you know, just to like, and, you, and I went, oh, my gosh, this is the best audience I've ever had in my entire life. So, and then I just kept going back, and I just kept going back, and then started writing these little theme songs, which is so fun. Take it to the top, feed the fire. the list goes on you know and it was just really fun for me and and then my kids loved it you know and gosh and just and so we yeah for years i mean for literally years i just came and came and i would always say joe are you sure i'm, I'm not I'm, I'm i'm getting to be the old guy listen <laughs> you need to get somebody else no you gotta come you gotta come so <laughs> a great joy it's part of the fabric of my life it's been a game changer and brought a lot of joy to my life for sure michael i see when alumni get together invariably your name will come up you know when we have alumni reunions and we'll talk about the michael smith days you'd be shocked how many people bring it up like it was the highlight of the of their summer and i hear you know the old rap that you did for feed the fire k1 k2 and I'll hear people bust into that rap, you know, from time to time. It was like it's, it was like Velcro is stuck to our hearts, and it still does. Uh, well, that was fun. That was the one time I got to do K one, K two, Kickapoo's and Kiowa, K three, K four, Cherokees and Choctaws. So I got to throw that in there. And I even even one song I got to talk about Joe's Cave. He still got it. Remember that one. <laughs> Well, Joe's Cave is in one of the... The cave, that's right. We still explore that cave. (laughs) (laughs) We still explore Yeah, Yeah, I remember. I remember going in that cave. (laughs) Yeah, I remember taking you and your family, and and I I don't don't think it was maybe Ryan, uh, but one of your kids was really small, and uh, we were way back in this dark cave, and we only had a flashlight or two, and it was very mysterious, and uh, your kids were younger, and one of them said... Joe, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might have seen a batter too. But yeah, but it's, it's all good. We, we, and I, I'm a little claustrophobic, so climbing through that little narrow tunnel to get in there was quite challenging for me, but we did it. We did it. So. Michael, you've never lost your love for kids. You've never lost your heart for kids. Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen whatever. Uh, you love kids, don't you? I do. I do. Big time. And I think I do more now, Joe, because, well, I think first and foremost, I've, you know, I've, I'm embracing this role of being a father. And I'm not talking about just my kids, my grandkids, but just to this next generation. You know, I was at the Dove Awards the other night. I presented on Tuesday night. It was a brilliant 
uh, Riley Clemens and Ray, we did song of the year, but that's, that's a whole other story. But I, I really, I went because I was invited to present, but I really, the second reason and really the most important reason I went is to just love on, love on everybody. I'm not a big award show fan. I kind of, they, they don't excite me too much, but I, I need to be supportive and, but just loving on these kids, loving on these, this next generation of kids. So, to me, as this fathering role of doing that, if that's all I did the rest of my life, then that's I would be totally fine with that, you know. So I think that, and then knowing that I struggled as a as a teenager, and you know, almost died of a drug overdose, and I had this four year as a as a prodigal and walked away from God, and how God rescued me, and and hey, if God can rescue me, then God can rescue anybody, you know. So. Uh, at least I I can relate to some degree of like what it's like to struggle and to go through these temptations and to be able to come out of it and not fall off the cliff and die and I'm still alive. And so that's why I still feel like I can be able to talk to kids and and still be relevant on some level. I can still get up. I feel like I can captivate an audience because I have a story to tell and I think they all can relate to that. And that's a real honor for me. And I, I embrace that, that part of my life right now. I really actually really enjoy it because everybody asks me, going, how'd you do it? How'd you survive success? How, how are you still married to the same woman? You know, all those questions, you know. So it's fun to be able to speak into kids' lives and, and especially these young kids in the, in the Christian music business in their 20s and 30s. So that's a real honor for me. You know, Michael, you've never lost your love for kids, but kids have never lost their love for you. Beth Ann, uh, you and uh, Melissa Houston direct a great camp, and I love coming with my grandkids to K-1, where you and uh, Melissa love on those girls in incredible ways. And you've certainly uh, done a great job today just loving on my friend Michael. And Michael, I just cannot thank you for being our friend here at Kanakuk all these decades and thank you for your wisdom today. Beth Ann, uh, I love when I hear you pray. Uh, so would you close us and wrap this up in prayer? I'd love to. God, we just, again, thank you for uh, just time to talk about worship. And again, we acknowledge that it's much more than just singing, Lord. It's our lives. It's uh, surrendering our lives to you and um all that we do, doing it for your glory. And so, God, we do thank you for the gift of music and singing in. God, we thank you for our friend Michael and just the impact that he's had on the world through worship, God, because of your grace in his life. And God, we pray that in these times that seem troubling um, and dark, that we would remember um, that there is light and there is hope. And God, I pray that you would call us towards worship because we were created to worship. So, God, we love you and we pray that you would continue just to bless the ministry um, that Michael has and um, pray that he would continue just to impact uh, many generations to come. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope today's conversation left you encouraged, strengthened, and empowered. If you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to our podcast today to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please consider rating us, writing a review, or sharing it with others so we can continue to build you up with an I'm Third approach to family, leadership, and spiritual growth. For more information about the podcast, visit canacuckpodcast.com. And for more information about Canacuck, you can visit canacuck.com. Oh,